Well, thank you guys for gathering with us here on this Lord's Day as we continue the current sermon series that we are in called Christmas Psalms or Christmas Songs. And we are particularly looking at uh, passages from the Old Testament found in the book of Psalm. And inside of those uh, psalms, uh, many of them are actual songs that would have had melodies to them or they are poems um, that were part of uh, Jewish worship of their God. And though we have lost those melodies or or those rhythms, um, the truth of these songs and psalms um, are, are still true. They were true for them and they're still true for us. But one of the important things about reading the Psalms and understanding the Psalms is this, is that not all of them have a, a, uh, the same kind of uh, personality to them. Some of them are Psalms of thanksgiving. Some of them are, are Psalms of lament, as we're going to talk about next Week. Some of them are psalms of thanksgiving, as we talked about last week. And in coming weeks, we're going to talk about the psalms of wisdom. And looking at those aspects, we come to one today in a series of them on, on psalms that are called the psalms of enthronement. When we think about enthronement, we are thinking about the very personhood of God, God himself, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Jesus as king, that he rightly reigns uh, over all of, the, all of creation, over, over everyone included in that creation, both past, present, and future, and the importance of having such reminders as these songs about the enthronement of God. When we look into the, the book of Psalm at chapter 93, which Maddox read for us today, it says in those first two verses, the Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old you are from everlasting. So you get this understanding as last week we saw the words of thanksgiving. This week we see the enthronement of Jesus. That he has always been on a throne except for those moments of incarnation for about 30 to 33 years. And yet has left that and, and has uh, rightfully sat back down in his seat next to God. That he is the King Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that as the Israelites did when they read this psalm. We need to be reminded of the personhood of God. We need to be reminded of the kingliness of Jesus. We see inside of this passage and others that when we're talking about the Lord reigning, we're talking about that He is in control, that He is the sovereign over everything. Often when we talk about uh, presidents or kings or queens or governments, we will use that terminology of sovereign. They are the sovereign state. What do we mean by that? We're meaning that they are in control, that they have authority, that they are there to serve and to protect the people. And yet we see inside of the scripture that God is the ultimate sovereign one, that he is the king, that he is the ultimate authority. We see in Psalm chapter 22, which Jesus read from the cross, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over nations. We see in Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. In Psalm 103, 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. In Psalm 115, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. We see this picture over and over and over as as God reigns supremely over everything. In the book of Exodus chapter 15, it says that the Lord will reign forever and ever. Again, the, the scripture is constantly there to remind us of not 
primarily ourselves, but of primary focus of who God is. You and I, yes, we can, um, we can be self-aware or have lack, uh, a lack of self-awareness, and some of our friends have more of a lack of self-awareness than others. Um, but, but for the most part, you and I um, secretly love ourselves more than anyone else. So we kind of know who we are, and yet we often forget who Jesus is and that he is king. See, Jesus works all things to the counsel of his will. Not your will, not my will, but his will. See, because God himself is trustworthy, later on in this passage, he tells us in verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. See, God himself is trustworthy, brothers and sisters. God himself is holy, and since he is trustworthy and since he is holy, then the scripture is saying that he is stable and reliable, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my, I'm, I'm feeling kind of Pentecostal today. I got my blue sport coat on, you know, it's like, I, that's how I grew up, you know, going to church every Sunday. I, I wore a pink, I had, not a pink suit, I had a red suit, a purple suit, a bright blue suit, and we dressed to the nines every Sunday to go to church. And the preacher would say things like, like this, that, does anybody need some stability <laughs> in your life? <laughs> Can I get some water? <laughs> I mean, I mean, anybody go to any church like that? Man, y'all missed out, you frozen chosen Baptist people. All right, it, I, I didn't become a Christian, and then I became the frozen chosen, so it's really weird. But for 19 years of my life, there was this, this kind of responsive reading. We didn't know it was called liturgic, you know, liturgical um, responsive readings, like what Pastor J- Justin did today or, or like what we did last Sunday. It was just called church. The preacher would say something, and then you would respond. Now, none of you in here know what that is like. Um, but I'm just teaching you something. But he would ask questions when it came to the portions of the sermons, like, does anybody need some stability, right? And the church would go, mm-hmm. You tell them, Pastor, mm-hmm. I need that. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, right? And it would be happening constantly. And you know all that did for the preacher? Again, something you're not aware of. It just made him want to preach even more. And the more you responded, the more he got into it, or she which is a whole other conversation. But anyway, um, so this would happen constantly. But, but it does pay within us. The, the, one of the things that is difficult about the, Christian, the Christmas season is its feeling of lack of stability. Is it not? Is your life not chaos right now? Like, I, I, I got more on my calendar in December than I think I have in any portion of the entire year. We try to squeeze more family time, more breakfasts, more lunches, more this and more that. It's, it's, it's seemingly very unstable, and yet the Bible is declaring something very different about our God. And that is that he is trustworthy and that he is stable. See, we need some stability in our life. We need a a constant in our lives because our lives are very inconsistent. And yet the Bible, the enthronement psalms are telling us that that his decrees are trustworthy. Holiness befits his house, O Lord, forevermore. Well, what is he telling us? He's, He's telling us that Jesus is the stable one, that he is the reliable one, that he is trustworthy. You ever met some unstable people? Husbands, don't look at your wives right now. Just keep looking at me, helping you out right here, okay? Don't look around like we know who you are, all right? We still love you. So does Jesus, okay? But stability in people, stability in an economy, stability in a government, stability even in your best friend hopefully our prayer for you is that in your marriage is the person you're married to or a future married to is your best friend and yet after being married to them you will quickly realize 
that stability, though, that they are someone to lean upon. You cannot lean too far on them because they will fall down. And so will you. But even God is trying to teach us something, even in the lack of stability found in our spouse. And that's that he is the ultimate stable one. We need to be reminded of that this Christmas. We were talking about earlier, I think it was me and uh, Mr. Hammonds up here, and uh, several of us were talking about just the, the craziness and chaotic um, events, even in our city in the last week, has just been absolutely insane. Of all of the, the shootings that have taken place right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and um, what was it, the, the country club that burnt down last night, the, the just chaos even for a small town like Bowling Green, Kentucky. And we need some stability. We need something or someone we can trust. And the enthronement Psalms remind us that it's Jesus. I don't do well in chaos. How about you? I don't like it. If you got a surprise for me, I want you to tell me before you surprise me. If you tell me you got to talk to me, guess when we're talking? Right now. Or I ain't got time to talk to you. Right? I don't like I don't like surprises. I do not like chaos. I like organization. I like I like to know, right? I don't know if that's it's, if it's type A or if, I don't know what it is. But I need even people around me that think like that, that also don't want to live in chaos. And so that's, that's the tough thing about life sometimes is the things that get thrown upon us that are chaotic. And yet Jesus remains on the throne. Anybody ever been gut punched by something in life? It makes us sweat. We are our people filled with anxiety. We are our stressed out people. And yet God has never paced back and forth in the throne room of heaven. He has not at, at one moment ever sweated or, or been, been filled from the throne room with, with anxiety over you and I. He has remained calm. He has remained stable. He has remained trustworthy. Why? Because God is not a God of chaos, but he is a God of order. See, his kingship is, is not his occupation, but it is rather his very identity. He cannot help but reign because it is his very nature to do so. May we be reminded this morning that he does so perfectly. He does so perfectly. We see in this passage as we continue here in verse 3 and 4, the floods are filled up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. We see here that in his enthronement and in his sovereignty, which is referring back to his reigning, that, that God is, or Jesus, is reigning over everything. See, if, if Jesus is king, then that means no one else can be. And the Bible is constantly reminding us of these truths. See, many times the proof of his reign was found in his ability to control specifically creation. Jesus reigns over creation. We see this in the book of Genesis. We see this throughout the scripture. And in this passage, we see particularly the idea of Jesus having uh, reigning power over the floods of the earth, over the seas and over the oceans as they, as they 
uh, are just tumultuous back and forth as they, they grow in their might and in their power. There is one who is mightier than the very storm, and his name is Jesus, and he is the Lord Almighty. So it's not saying that the ocean and its waves and its flooding isn't mighty. It is, and yet there is one mightier than it, and his name is Jesus. Think about it. How many times have we seen throughout the scripture God, Jesus, uh, take control over something in the created order? Who brought the floods to Noah? If you live in Bowling Green, you're blaming Chris Allen because he controls the weather around this place. But it wasn't Chris. He's a great guy, by the way. Who controls the floods of Noah? It was it was God. It was it was Christ who controlled the the parting of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could be be led across it on dry ground. Well, it was it was God who was who was the one that sent um, the big storm to Jonah as he was trying to to get away from from Nineveh, and so he hops on a boat with some some pirates, some guys, and and all of a sudden a big storm shows up, and 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 they keep asking like who has who has disobeyed their God on this boat? And Jonah's it was me. Throw me over, and this will calm down. But in that passage inside of Jonah, I love the book of Jonah, we, we see him reiterating the fact that it was God who brought that storm. And it was also God who brought that big fish that swallowed him up like a tomb. That this was the power of God. Who is it that walks on the water? It is King Jesus that does so. One of my favorite passages inside of the New Testament, it's found in several of the Gospels, but in Gospel of Mark, I love its story. Maybe it's a personal reason of why, but, but in Mark chapter 4, verses 39 through 41, you're going to know this story. But Jesus is on the boat with the disciples, and a big storm comes, and, and he's asleep. You remember this story? But they're all awake, and they begin to freak out. And the disciples run over and they begin to kind of just imagine, you know, them shaking Jesus and, and they're, they're waking him. And the first thing they say to him is, teacher, do you not know or do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith, and, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is a picture of the enthronement of Jesus, that he reigns over all of creation. See, um, I don't know if there's anything in the created order that's anything more beautiful and more scary than the ocean. That is a scary thing. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. And yet it is scary. And in ancient times, there was lots of, of myths in regards to the water. Specifically the ocean. It, it, it seemed to be the epitome of, of uncontrollable chaos. And yet, what do we see King Jesus doing over and over and over and over and over again? He is the one that the, the winds obey, that the seas obey. He says to it, peace, be still. And immediately, those things in the created order respond to it. See, Jesus in his reigning is is over all of our uncontrollable chaos as the floods in our lives are, are roaring and the, the wind, wind and the waves are crashing upon our lives. There is one who is mightier than your current circumstance and his name is Jesus. We need to be reminded of this Jesus. The biblical Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of all of your 
chaos at Christmas. Jesus is your stability. He reigns over your uncontrollable chaos. Why? Because He is in control. Another way that we see the enthronement of Jesus as King Jesus is that He rules and reigns not just over creation, but He rules and reigns over our governments. In the New Testament, we see Jesus talking to Pilate in John chapter 19. It says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So the man that, that is the judge that Jesus is standing in front of and, and being judged and be eventually sent in capital punishment to the cross. Jesus, because he, he knows who he is, looks at the very judge and says, man, you don't even have any authority unless it is given to you by God. We see in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In Jeremiah 25, 8 through 9, I wish we had time to go into this, but there's this crazy story about King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember him, um, just a pagan guy, worshipped many gods, just crazy, crazy, crazy man, but has this experience with God. But before all of these things begin to take place, God says to the Israelites in Jeremiah, because of your disobedience, I'm going to send this pagan king to rule over you. So God is even in control of presidents and kings and queens, and sometimes he sends them to us as a way of blessings, but sometimes he sends certain ones to us as a way of discipline, as a way of punishment to bring us back to the reality that we don't need an earthly king. Ultimately, we need the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We need Jesus. Please don't get blown out of the water when you see a pagan government acting like pagans. That's, that's what they do. They are not Jesus. And yet all of these things were for God. Truly in this city, this is from Acts chapter 4, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your hand had predestined to take place. So though God has established earthly governments for our protection, for his glory, and for our good, God has established these things. He has, he has established both the tyrant king um, and he has uh, established both a faithful king. He, he brought to the forefront both Saul and that of David, all by means of fulfilling God's perfect predestined plan. I love this quote by D.A. Carson. He's a theologian, writes books, all kinds of stuff. But he says this, God reigns and everyone, everything, every event, every item, every matter, every thought is finally subject to that sovereignty. Everything in your life, brothers and sisters. Isn't from out or underneath the umbrella of the sovereign king of kings. Every event. Every experience and our our joy is to find hope and security in that stability is that easy no it's not but it can be trusted it can be trusted Every hurt, every pain, every uncontrollable chaos in your life. Every moment in the, the stillness of your own heart. You know, those moments when anybody talk to yourselves? 
My wife calls me out because we'll be driving down the road and the family will be in the car, but I'm having a conversation with myself. Nothing ever comes out of my mind, but because I talk with my hands, I'm literally like having this kind of conversation with, I know I need medication. Thank you. But what about those car rides when you're by yourself? As I've gotten older, there's a lot less rap music coming from my six by nines in my truck, right? No kickers in my truck. If y'all remember kickers or Pioneer or Kenwood, if you do, that means you're old, all right? I'm so glad we kind of, every time I hear that, I'm still like, do people still do that? Every so often, I'm just like, that's so dumb. But anyway, I used to be that guy. There's a lot less radio playing. There's a lot less talk radio, and there's a lot more silence as I, I contemplate the, what appears to be in my life uncontrollable, just chaos. If not for the word of God, I often think, man, I would be insane. It was interesting in the new um, movie, the, the Tom Hanks um, movie about Mr. Rogers. What's interesting about that, and I've done some research on this to find out if it was actually true or not, is how angry of a man Mr. Rogers was. He was an angry, angry man. And, and yet what kept him sane and from not losing control was praying for people by name and reading the Bible every morning and then swimming really fast. And he did that for 30-something years. And there's testimony of how that that's what kept him Sane. That's what kept him stable because he realized, had come to grips, that he was unstable. And brothers and sisters, we need some more of that in our lives. That our, our stability cannot be, again, found in a husband. It cannot be found in a wife. It certainly is not found in a child. It is not found in a job. It's not found in an economy. It is not found in your patriotism. It can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found in the king. And, and, and the king's name is, is, is not Justin. It is it's not Karen. It is not, it is not Eric. It is not Jesse. It is King Jesus, and he, in our insanity, is the only one who is, is, is completely sane and perfect in everything that he orchestrates. And so we need a daily healthy dosage of King Jesus and the truth of his word in order to stabilize our uncontrollable chaos. When we look at this, and then we move forward into the Christmas season. It's important for us to remember that Jesus too reigns over the chaos of the first Christmas. And if he reigns over the chaos of the first Christmas, then, then he reigns over this Christmas as well. There's this great passage, it's often read um, around this time of year, isn't it? Found in Isaiah chapter 9. You're going to know this when I read it to you. And it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, and Counselor, and Mighty God, and Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. We see this 
encapsulated in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles or your device, you can turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. As we see the enthronement psalms played out in Isaiah, but also in Luke's Gospel here. In Luke chapter 2, it says this, another famous passage, and I believe this is the one read by, uh, is it Linus in, in Charlie Brown Christmas, which is one of my personal favorites. Just putting that out there. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judah, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swallowing clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the in. It's interesting that inside of the Bible that we get not only these kind of uh, kings that are over the, the Jewish people, but we also learn about the kings throughout history. It's interesting that, that Luke calls our attention to an earthly king, particularly this king, Caesar Augustus. Caesar was considered to be the ruler of the entire world. Caesar was Lord, or is Lord, was a common phrase on the lips of the Romans. Hell, Caesar is Lord. So sometimes we miss the, in our, in our lack of history, understanding the significance and importance of these Caesars. Many of them, if not all of them, were considered to be gods. They were considered to be very divine themselves. What does Caesar Augustus declare? He decrees that all of the world should be registered. And so while Caesar is expanding his earthly empire and governing over, the, over everything, on the fringe of his empire, in a, in a small, small village, in, in the fringe of this great empire of his, the rightful king is born and is laid in a manger. See, in the shadow of an earthly kingdom, Jesus is laid in a manger. The Christmas narrative brings in the tension between an earthly king and the king of kings. The, the, the Caesar sits on a throne, but yet unbeknown to him, God is ruling over the affairs of all people. See, without knowing it, earthly rulers are, are doing the will of God in order to bring about God's perfect plan. See, even if an earthly ruler, even sin, Satan, and death themselves are, are plotting against God and his plan, and yet every time they establish something and believe that they have a foothold against God, God takes what is evil, what is wrong, what is sinful, and makes it for good. Caesar was trying to, to show himself, look at my power, look at my might, look at the, the wealth and the riches, look at the people, look at all I, that I know, look, own, look at all of these nations that all bow down to me because Caesar is Lord. And yet while he's declaring that, where do we see God at work? God uses the prideful pagan Roman king in a census to fulfill what Michael chapter 5 verse says, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. See, brothers and sisters, that, that census, though it was, it was uh, a will of an earthly king, was ultimately a plan of God. The virgin birth planned. Joseph, the adoptive father, planned. Long trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, planned, no, no room in the inn. That guy who wouldn't let them stay there gets a really bad rap. And yet we have no indication that he was bad at all. 
They're just, the hotel vacancy was closed up. There was a lot of people in town. And yet all of that is planned. See, if Mary and Joseph have Jesus in the inn, there's probably not a feeding trough to place him in. So he has to be born outside. Why? To fulfill. How will we know? Because he is wrapped in swallowing clothes. He is lying in a manger. He is found in Bethlehem. All of these things are, are part of God's sovereign plan. While an earthly king sat on his throne holding a scepter, the one who created that very king is lying in a manger. That's power. I mean, haven't you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just show up on the scene as a grown man? But Jesus is so secure in who he is as God that he can humble himself and come as a baby. While a powerful king, a powerful earthly king, with all of his riches, anything he wanted at the snap of his finger. And yet the real king of kings, the real lord of lords, the real one who left his throne and exchanged it for a place and an and a, and a opportunity or in a feeding trough for animals. This is the humility of Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. Just like in the first Christmas, not everyone saw Jesus as king, did they? Why? Because of the way that he was born. Our king couldn't be born like that. The way he lived as a, as a peasant, probably a, a carpenter, learning this from Joseph, what he claimed about him, people were constantly calling him into question. Not to mention the scandalous nature of the, the very death upon a cross and a resurrection. And yet likewise, brothers and sisters, many of us struggle to put our trust in Jesus because of what we cannot see. How many of you agree with this statement? In our culture, perception is reality. But it's not always. But that's how many of us live our lives. Some of our friends are really, they're addicted to this concept. You know what I'm talking about. And again, we'll, we'll talk about other people who aren't here, right? So don't look around. people who create false realities. Perception becomes reality. You know, the, have you ever been around somebody who, uh, they're, they're, I don't know if it's, it's paranoia or, or what it is, and we can all struggle with this to some degree, but they're, they're playing out events and trying to connect dots, but they don't have all of the facts. And so perception in their own minds and lives becomes absolute truth. And yet they don't know all the truth. See, Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus was, uh, had to be a false truth because of, of the perception of those who were there. God can't be born like this. Jesus is king. Jesus, Jesus, if he was our king, there's, there's no way he would, have, he would have allowed himself to experience all the things that he had experienced. But no, our, our king is, is coming to, to establish a, a, a real government. And we're going to help him rule and reign. And that's what the Jews believed. And they're still looking for that Messiah. One who is going to give them their power back, their prestige back. See, God's mean of redeeming his people and, and, just, and, and restoring the world is done in an unpredictable manner, isn't it? When you compare it to the way that the world would want it done. 
as the Jews were expecting this Messiah, again, to be a, a physical governing king who would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish Judaism as, as the governing power and the people of the world, Jesus is born in the rain, manger, no room in the inn, later, place, later claims that I have no place to even lay my head as he ministered. Humiliated, mocked, scorned, the Bible tells us. They make a mockery of his kingship as they place a crown of thorns upon his head, as they take a robe and strip him of his own clothes and, and place a robe upon him. As they, as they march him through the center of town, possibly naked, carrying anywhere between 50 to 100 pound crossbeam upon his back after being brutally beaten, and whipped, flogged, his beard being ripped out, he, him being spat upon as they nailed him to a cross. Cursed is the man who dies upon the cross. This cannot be our king. As they, they make that sign and they place it above his head, here is the king of the Jews. Surely this, this cannot be our king. It's, there, there's no way. And yet from his birth to his death, he is revealing his kingship. He shows his authority in that moment. As, as John 10, 18 would tell us that, that no one takes his life from him, but he lays down his life on his own accord. And I, he has the authority to lay it down. He also has the authority to take it back up again. Jesus, that's what the king did. He laid it down, and then he got back up. And yet, brothers and sisters, he is coming back again. The enthronement psalms in the, the Christmas story begs us to answer this question this morning. Who is your king? Who is, is reigning and in control of, of your chaos in life? Who is the king of, of your heart? Where is your affections most stirred for? Are they, they stirred towards Jesus or are they stirred towards something else? Some have said that the enthronement psalms were used to remind people who had a tendency to forget. They were there to constantly remind them that though they had an earthly established king, that that person wasn't the ultimate king. The psalms, the enthronement psalms were put there to be this, this reminder over and over and over again because we are a people who are, have a tendency to forget and yet God has, has given us touch, taste, and smell and, and all of these senses and, and opportunities to learn things and melodies and songs to remind us of His greatness in the midst of chaos. That's why there is nostalgia in Christmas songs. Is they take us to moments, don't they? They take us to memories. Anybody gone through a tough time and you'll notice one of the things that if it's not scripture, um, a song will come to mind? I remember my sister and I would get into little... We never really got into many arguments or anything, but I, but I remember raining throughout the house. It's like the only time I ever heard my dad sing is when there would be conflict, and all of a sudden he would go, There will be peace in the valley for me someday. Anybody know that song? You old too. And that, I mean, my sister can testify to that. It's like, I think Elvis sang that once. And dad would, it, that's what would come to his mind, right? And that, he, the, the Bible verse he would all, always quote would be like, the Bible says, call no man a fool. Every time we would say, 
you're a fool, <laughs> right? He loved to quote that one back. He loved to sing, there will be peace in the, in the valley. But it, have you ever noticed that, though, about your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, that oftentimes in the midst of our chaos, if it's, if it's not a scripture, which I think we, that's what we need more of, it'll be a song. A reminder. Likewise, the Israelites needed those reminders. Who is our king, even though we are under the oppression of a tyrant? Who is our king, even when life does not go according to your plan? Who is king when our lives do not follow our expectations i can tell you i can give testimony at 41 years of old this was not what i had planned not even close i knew that laura would be married to an awesome man at 41 which she, that happened but everything else has not gone according to plan it has not met the expectation and yet in the midst of that season and in this Christmas season it's it's begging to ask of Eric Baker as it's begging to ask of you of who is your king whom do you serve whom do you live for the answer to these questions are are not a one-time decision, brothers and sisters, but they are a daily re reality for us. See, brothers and sisters, there's lots of conversations, especially if you pay attention to some news broadcasts, which I would encourage you to turn off. The war over Christmas is not taking place in shopping malls and whether or not people say Merry Christmas. The war over Christmas is taking place in our hearts. Who is sitting on the throne of our hearts? If Jesus was ruling and reigning over the affairs of his own birth, life, death, and resurrection, then surely he hasn't left or forsaken you and I. How do you reconcile a newborn baby who is simultaneously completely there in holding every dust mite in perfect flight all over the universe how do you reconcile those two things I have no idea but it's no less true because he is king and he humbled himself he gave up rights in order to do and make right between myself you and God there's this interesting parable in closing in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is, is like this parable between wheat and weeds. You remember this? And it says that is that a farmer goes forth and he sows and he sows good seed, but then the enemy comes and sows a lot of weeds. And the disciples want to go out and immediately, what do they want to do? Anybody remember? They want to pull up all the weeds. And does anybody remember the crazy statement that Jesus says Jesus looks at the disciples and he says no wait until the end and then a distinction will be made a tale of two kingdoms a tale of two kings simultaneously existing next to each other. But it will not forever be that way. You, brothers and sisters, friends, you are either going to stand before an almighty God, casting your crown and your robe at his very feet as a son and daughter of God, or you are going to bow your feet at an almighty king, an almighty God as a defeated enemy.
but every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, it says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. See, brothers and sisters, the the first advent was always pointing to the second advent. And though we would love to just go through here, let me tell you, I love to just pull weeds and, and cast them into eternal fire and be used of God. Wouldn't we just love that, Lord Jesus? And yet Jesus is saying, he is pointing, he is calling Christians as he did during the first advent as they waited on the Messiah. And it got really long and really hard. And they were beaten and broken and murdered. Their houses burnt down. They were left for dead. They were fed to lions. They were sewn in too. And yet simultaneously that first advent, that first Christmas is pointing to the second one. And that is where we are currently at. And you and I, though we are broken and beaten and whipped and shamed and it's probably only going to get worse brothers and sisters hold to the truth that the king is still on the throne and the next time he comes this is all over no more pain no more sorrow as Jesus himself wipes away the tears of his people. Do not cling to this moment. Because this moment is is painful. It's filled with suffering. Cling to a Jesus in a future moment where he is already there. And one day, He is coming back. Songs. Songs of enthronement. Songs written to help us remember. May we remember this morning King Jesus. Let us pray.